Well, good morning, everyone. I see none of you decided to take advantage of spring break and move to Florida for a week. Good job. You decided to just stay in, stick in, press down, fight through whatever the week will bring here in Indiana. Good job. I like that. I like that resolve. You guys are the true, the proud, the not the brave, the poor. I don't know. I mean, is this what really is what it comes down to, isn't it? <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here this morning. I am really glad. We're going to be talking about faith. Faith is one of those things that we, I think we assume we know a lot about. We know how faith works. Uh, but this morning, we're going to talk about it in a, in a unique way. We're in 52 weeks of these key core concepts that the scriptures um, reinforce time and time again. And there's, there are core concepts that we as believers need to really get a grasp on. The key idea that we're going to be looking at today is that when our faith is challenged or stressed, how do we respond? Now, I was going to post some pictures of the, the war in Ukraine, but we've all seen those images, so I don't need to do that. But I've been listening to so many different sources, and, and one of the sources will say, hey, Ukraine has got this, Russia has already lost this war, uh, they might as well just wrap it up now. And then you read other sources and they say uh, Russia keeps making inroads into Ukraine and there seems to be, in my mind at least, a little bit of a disconnect between good news and disturbing news and you go, what's the reality here in this place? The disconnect between what's being broadcast and the reality of what's on the ground. And as Christians, sometimes we can live in that world too where what's being broadcast publicly looks a little different than what we're dealing with privately. Anyone identify so far with that? Our core verse is found in Mark chapter one. Mark is the second, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John is the second gospel in your New Testament. Go ahead and turn there if you've got your Bibles. We'll have the scriptures up there, but if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verse 15, and this is our core verse for the week. Here's how Mark uh, writes and describes uh, this moment. The time has come, he said, Jesus, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That's our core verse. If you want to memorize it, that's the verse to memorize this week. But can I draw your attention to the verse right in front of it, verse 14. Here's what Mark writes in, verse, in chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. I love those verses, um, but I find a little bit of a disconnect between them. Don't, don't you? Maybe, you? maybe you see this as well. The verses end with this. Believe the good news. But it begins with this, John was put in prison. The kingdom of God is near, and John is in prison. Have you ever tried to reconcile the disconnect between your seeming hopeless circumstances and your very hopeful faith? I've got a friend named Lynn. Lynn tells about a time several years ago when in the course of a few weeks, her mother committed suicide. 
the family home burned down and the farm that she had been raised on was repossessed. And Lynn says she stood there in the field and she raised her eyes to heaven and she said, you say you are good, but where is the good in any of this? I've got some friends who serve their church faithfully, even to the point of self-sacrifice, and they ended up investing a lot of their retirement funds, keeping the church afloat. And they felt, after praying, that God was directing them to do this, and they trusted God in that, and yet at the end of it all, they're financially devastated. Where is God in all of that? I read this past week from Mia Makulik. She's Ukrainian. She's a Christian in the Ukraine. It's this. We pray hard. We are hopeful. We rely on God. But the danger continues to be very real. And we know God will give us victory, but we don't know when. Faith has been described as this unshakable confidence in God. And yet as people of faith... We know that our unshakable faith can, can be shaken. Has your faith ever been so tested that you found yourself deeply questioning God? If so, then I'm praying today that you will take encouragement and instruction from another man of faith who also had deep questions. If you're in Mark, turn back one and get to Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew 11 for basically the remainder of the morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement we find in it. We thank you for the way that you encourage us, even in our difficult seasons. And we pray this morning, if there's anyone here that is going through a deep and difficult season, that you would encourage them from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, Matthew writes, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, also known as John the Baptist, who was in prison, ah, we've heard this, haven't we? When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? I don't think John expected to be in this situation. John was raised in privilege and perhaps even, even wealth. He went to the right schools. He trained under the right people. And it had always been assumed by people around him that, that he would eventually take his father's place there in the temple, offering sacrifices and lifting up prayers like generations of priests before him. That role was passed down from father to son and from son to his son and from that son to the next son. But from the beginning, it seems, the call of God on John's life was different. And despite the urging of his friends and his family, his life took a wildly different path. And as he would tell his friends and those who would question him, yes, Yes, it is rough. Living in the wilderness is rough, but the message God gave me is rough. Repent. 
he would yell it like a man trying to wake up sleeping family members in a house on fire. But the message resonated and the crowds came, perhaps just out of curiosity, but still they came and they heard the message of repentance and many were baptized there and half sunk there in the Jordan River up to his waist in muddy water with his toes clinging to the muddy silt. John knew a contentment and a peace that all that training in the temple never afforded him. And then came the day that he showed up. He recognized him. It was his cousin, Jesus. And maybe he had always suspected this about Jesus. The signs were certainly there, but it wasn't until that moment, it seems, there with John in the water and Jesus on the bank, and their eyes met, and suddenly John knew without a shadow of a doubt who that was. And he pauses in his shouting of repentance long enough to shout about the one who could offer Forgiveness, And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The culmination of his life's mission. And as John sort of recollects back, he goes to that point and recognizes that it was there that his ministry probably began wrapping up. After all, he was to prepare the way for the Lord, and there the Lord is. And the Lord actually picks up John's message and begins to preach it himself. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, Jesus preaches. There were those in John's circle that whispered in his ear things like, John, you know, Jesus is really just preaching your message. That's really your ministry that, that he's taking. John, have you noticed that some of your disciples have gone over to join up with Jesus and his disciples? Do you notice that your followers are smaller and his are getting bigger? That's his message you're preaching. Plus the Pharisees, who were never apt to miss a moment to sort of divide and conquer their, their religious um, uh, rivals, went to John and said, you know, John, at least you taught your disciples how to fast and pray. Jesus isn't even making his disciples fast and pray. What's that about? And while any other person would have thought, hmm, yeah, yeah, maybe they're right. John, each and every time, responded this way. He must increase and I must decrease. The message didn't, stay the, didn't change, though. It stayed the same. That message of repentance still carried all the way from the banks of the Jordan River to the palace of Herod, who had recently divorced his wife and unlawfully married his sister-in-law. And when, the John, when John the Baptist began preaching about adultery, Herod was not happy. Messages on adultery never do sit well. <laughs> 
But John refused to back down. That's the word of the Lord, he said. I'm not taking it back. And so now, here he sits in a dark and dank hole. Archaeological excavations there at that fortress of Herod where, Paul, where uh, John the Baptist is believed to have been imprisoned um, reveal a, a, a deep dungeon and then in the dungeon there are these deep holes like almost like wells built into the floor. And it is into one of those wells that John would have been dropped. The only light he's able to see comes from a trap door above his head and that is inside a dark and dank dungeon. So imagine, if you will, a dark, dark, dark place surrounded by filth and stink. And in that horrible, horrible place, John has a lot of time to think. You ever been there? And if John the Baptist is like Tim, he begins to think, Thoughts like this. Okay. Where is God? Where is the reward for doing what God called me to do? And where is Jesus? I'm down here starving and suffering, and the reports I'm hearing is that he's eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. I mean, is he really the Christ? Or, or did we all get this wrong? Did, did I get it wrong? I mean, I had one, one assignment from God to, to pave the way for the Messiah. And did I, did I, did I miss something? Is everything and everyone that I put my faith in wrong. What is faith? Everyone talks about it, but few take the time to actually define what it is. And the Bible gives a very succinct definition of faith. In Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. In other words, faith recognizes that there is so much we don't know but it places its confidence and its hope and any assurance in the one who does. Faith is the strong conviction that my story, even as messy right now, is part of God's bigger story. And faith is the confidence that the world, as chaotic as it now is, is part of God's greater plan. Faith means that there is more to this world than what meets the eye. And it's more than just believing that. It's more than just mental assent. It, is, it affects how I engage with the world around me. James 2 says that faith without works or actions that flow out of this belief system, well, it's, it's dead faith. And no one wants dead faith. We want faith that is alive, living faith that changes us and changes the world around us. It's the kind of faith that we're told you must have in order to please God. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and that he rewards those who seek him. And John says, I believe that he exists, and I believe that he rewards those who seek them. But here I am in a dark and desperate place waiting for my reward and waiting and still waiting. And finally, he gets word to his disciples. And here's what he tells them. Go ask him. Go ask him. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Have you ever asked that question? (laughs) Or some form of it? God, if you're really there, please. I remember laying as a kid on the grass going, God, if you're real, then make that cloud turn into... God, if you're there, give me a sign. God, if you're there, do something about this. So John's disciples go and they find where Jesus is and they, they hang around for a little bit. And then finally, one night, I think, around the campfire, <laughs> one of them gets the courage. Maybe Jesus says something like, okay, you know, you guys have heard me talking. Is there any questions you want to talk about? John's disciples sort of look at each other and then one of them goes, yeah, I got a question. Jesus says, what's your question? He goes, uh, are you really, are you really the one? I don't know. I'm just making that part up. But the question is asked and and how Jesus responds is really important because I don't think he responded this way. I don't think he said, what? You've been hanging around all this time and you still have doubts? Have you not seen everything that's going on? What, what do you don't believe me? I've proved it, haven't I? No. Given how he responds at the end of this dialogue, I think he responds at the beginning of the dialogue this way with a heart that is full of compassion and deep sympathy for where John finds himself and and deep sympathy and compassion and grace for the ones asking the question. And he says this in Matthew 11, verse 4. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Man, I don't know why this affects me this way. The blind receive sight, and the lame walk. Gabe, for some reason, I'm picturing you on crutches right now here in this around this circle. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he pauses. And as if he's wanting them to remember this thing above all other things, he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Have you ever stumbled on account of God? When you pray for wisdom (laughs) and still the plan manages to just go horribly, 
horribly wrong. When you pray and believe and still, the test results come back devastating. When you pray and you believe and you trust, and still the bombs keep falling and the army inches closer. And when the promise that you just know that God made to you turns to dust. When we face circumstances that test our faith, we can do one of two things. We can turn on God, and a lot of people do that. They shake their finger or their fist at God and say, God, if you were really loving, if you were really real, if you were all powerful, we can turn on God or we can turn to God. And that's what John does. John goes to Jesus with his questions. When John faced his questions, he didn't go to, <laughs> he didn't go to Google. He didn't do a WebMD search. He didn't talk to his buddy who worked in the cubicle next to him. He turned to Jesus. He says, go ask Jesus. Jesus will be honest with me. Jesus will speak the truth to my life. I can trust Jesus. We are handed a faith test. We have to recognize that only Jesus knows the true answer. So don't run from Jesus. Run to Jesus when your faith is tested. I love what David writes in Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail. How many of you guys say, yep, I can identify where my flesh and my heart can fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And God is my portion forever. Hebrews 4.16, the author writes this. So let us then with confidence, despite our fears, despite our questions, despite our anxious thoughts, with confidence we draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in these times of need. Run to Jesus. Don't run away from him. And then look around. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Look around. What do you see? God has not disappeared in your difficult circumstance. God is still working. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead live again. Look around. God is at work. Can I just tell you a few things that are happening right here among us? 40 women in our community, led by some women right here, have said, we want to dig into something eternal. We want to dig into real relationships that are centered around a real God. They said, we want to do this. And so there's women who are believers and there's women who are not believers who are saying, we want to be part of a real community. That is a wonderful thing. There are those who show up at this church who for the vast majority of their life have kept a very comfortable distance between themselves and God. And yet, week after week, I see them showing up, the Holy Spirit drawing them to find Jesus here. 
I could say that's a tremendous amount of responsibility on us, but, but I think God seems to be doing that despite our best efforts. God's doing it. And then I think about my friend whose life was utterly wrecked and destroyed, crumbled around him because of his own sin. And every week I see one more evidence where God is slowly rebuilding his life into something that, that has a hope and a future and life is springing up even around him. That's a miracle. God is at work. So your faith may be stretched right now, <laughs> but not because God has quit or God has abandoned. No, 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 no. Just the opposite. God has not quit. God is always at work. And if you don't see him working around you, there's the very real possibility that he is doing his best work in you. James 1, 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials, whenever you find yourself in these dark and dank pits of any kind, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces something called perseverance. Grit, Grandpa used to call it. And let grit let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I read an interview a couple of weeks ago. This gentleman was interviewing this older lady, and he said, so what's the secret to living such a long life? And she thought for a moment, and she said, well, don't die young. That's a good answer. James says the same thing. He says, the secret to being mature and complete, don't quit. Don't give up. Persevere. When you get discouraged and you want to quit, don't. Keep going. Look around and be encouraged at what God's doing and keep moving forward. The third thing is this, stay connected. You say, well, how does John teach us that? Well, here's the way that I see that. <laughs> John couldn't have got to Jesus. John was not just in a figurative pit. John was in a literal pit. He could not get to Jesus. Who got to Jesus for him? His friends. He sent his friends to Jesus. When we absent ourselves from the gathering in the body of Christ, we remove ourselves from the very people who can help us get to Jesus. Why do we do that? Why do we remove ourselves from the body of Christ when we face hard times? Why do we avoid the very thing that God set up to be an encouragement for us, to be the tangible presence of Jesus in our lives? Instead of running away from God, of holding ourselves up in our own despair and stepping out of fellowship with other believers, this is just the opposite. Run to Jesus Look around at what God's doing around you and stay connected to the very people that he's placed in our lives. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Not to put a number on an attendance board, not to report back to the central office, here's how many we had on Sunday, here's what our offering looked like. No, you're needed here to encourage us. One of our values here at Sherwood Oaks is that we tell life-changing faith stories. 
That means that when you tell me how God is working on your life, it encourages me to see how God is working in my life and my circumstances. I love that. We encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the truth. Jesus is coming again. Say that with me. Jesus is coming again. Do you believe that? Say it again. Jesus is coming again. But until he does, we're here. This dark and dank place will be transformed into an amazing new heaven and new earth. But until that time comes, we're here. It will be amazing and joyful and delightful and peaceful. But until then, we're here. Until then, we need your words of encouragement. We need you to be present among us. Your faith joining with ours, encouraging each other through those difficult seasons of life and of faith. Because we all will go through them, even John. Remember my friend Lynn, who in the span of a few weeks lost her mother, lost her home, and lost the family farm? I shared an office space with her this week for about 15 minutes, and we talked about it, and she said this. She goes, I used to think that my doubts were something I need to keep to myself because I don't know. I felt ashamed of them. But she says, when I read through the scriptures, I see these giants of faith who wrestled with deep and real questions. She goes, I don't know. I don't, I don't think God is disappointed in me. And it was all I could do not to leap out of my chair and slap her across the face. You idiot. Why do you think God would be disappointed with you? That's stupid. I didn't do that. I was very understanding and now my hands, no, I don't think God is disappointed with you. <laughs> That's what the scripture teaches. God is not disappointed. I love how this account ends. As Jesus watches John's disciples go back to John and tell him what he's just told them, he turns to those still assembled there, the crowd around him, and he says this, when you all went out to the wilderness, to see this guy that everyone was talking about, this John, the baptizer. He says, did you go out to see this sort of wispy, willow, grassy thing blowing in the breeze? Did you think you were going to go out and see a guy in a suit and tie preaching this amazing, inspiring message? No, you went out to see a prophet, or what you hope was a prophet. But let me tell you something. Even as a prophet, you, you don't really understand the full story and the full picture of who John the Baptist is. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. No one greater than John the Baptist. It doesn't sound to me like Jesus was disappointed with John and his questions. And he's not disappointed with you either. He just says, bring your questions and bring your doubts to me as soon as you have them. Faith. Faith doesn't require that you have all the answers. That's good. I don't have all the answers. Faith doesn't require that you never have questions. That's good because I sometimes have questions. Living 
real, true, authentic faith simply means that we bring those questions to the one who has answers, Jesus. Now, the answer you get from Jesus may not be (laughs) quite what you were hoping for. How many of you guys have heard from Jesus and he didn't tell you what you wanted to hear? That happens. I suspect John the Baptist, when he heard back, still had a few questions. But I am confident of this, that when he heard back and his disciples shared what Jesus has said, he never doubted for a moment the abiding, deep love that Jesus had for John. And I would hope that you would never, despite your doubts and questions, you would never doubt the deep and abiding love Jesus has for you. It's always nice to end um, sort of one of these stressful stories with a happy ending. One of my, you know, in every Hollywood movie, I love it when, when the, 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 the trial, the difficulty, the challenge is overcome and there's this big, beautiful ending. It would be amazing if at the end of this story, Jesus comes bursting through the walls of the prison. He grabs John and throws him over his shoulder and he runs out. Or maybe John discovers a hidden sewer system and wrestles his way through the sewer system and and the story ends with Jesus and John on the beach drinking pina coladas. That's not how the story ends. You need to know that. John dies. And here's the truth. No one in this life, even and perhaps especially people of faith, we don't we are not guaranteed happy endings. (laughs) No one is spared sorrow. No one escapes physical affliction. Some of us will even die difficult deaths. Paul faced his own struggles. And I find this so encouraging for those of you going through difficult times. It's been encouraging for me, and I hope it is encouraging for you as well. In Philippians, he writes this. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Jesus with your life and salvation, your day of completion is not here yet. And those things which test and try your faith, they're not done yet. There will be many more. Your day of completion is not here. In the meantime... Until that day of the Lord, when all is made right, remember three responses to stress. One, go to Jesus. Don't don't look for answers any other place. Go to Jesus. Run to him, not from him. And two, don't get trapped in sort of this debilitating introspection that we humans are so prone to. Instead, get your head out of your troubles and look around. Say, Jesus, show me where you're working. And he will. And then stay connected. Don't disappear. Don't slink away. Don't sink deeper in your own prison. Reach out and encourage others and be encouraged by others because God is always at work. And we get to join him in it. That's amazing, isn't it? The same message John preached is the message that Elijah and Isaiah and all of the Old Testament prophets preached. It's the same one. Repent, repent, repent. (laughs) Jesus picked up that message. Repent, he said, repent. 
It's the message we preach here. Repent. Turn from that way and begin walking in a new way. Matthew 1.15. The time has come, Jesus said. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Have you done that? If you're in this room and you haven't done that, today is the day you can say, I am ready to repent and believe in the good news and trust Jesus. No matter what may come into my life, no matter what tomorrow may bring, I follow Jesus. We're getting ready to share a meal together. And this meal is for those who have trusted Jesus for their salvation and for their life, who've accepted him as their savior, who put their faith in him. And it's a time to come to Jesus, come to the table that he has invited us to, table that he has prepared because of a work that he accomplished on the cross that only he could accomplish. It's a chance to look around. In fact, just do that right now. Look around at the folks around you. Every one of the people gathered here is, is here because Jesus is telling a story through them. He's doing a work in us and among us. It's a way to connect this last Friday. I was visited mid-afternoon here at the church by a prayer team from the Bedford Free Methodist Congregation. They said, we're just here, we want to pray for you, we want to pray for this church. And so we prayed out there in the lobby and then they wandered through the building and they prayed over the, the seats and the pews and they walked around this space. And um, I tell you, it was such an encouraging thing to know that God <laughs> has not left this up to us by ourselves, but he has surrounded us with men and women of faith who also acknowledge the call of God to reach the community, to be salt and light, and to be reminded that we are loved by God. We may feel like we're out here in the middle of nowhere, but, but man, when they showed up, it reminded me that, hey, we're not alone. We've got other people who are coming along beside us. It's a way to connect. So communion has at its very root this word of commune. We get the word community from that. A reminder that we're not in this alone. Just as the people in this room are here for you, we've got other believers in this community who are here for us as well. I love that. That's why we call it a faith community. They share our faith. So communion is a reminder of our faith in Jesus who asks us to trust him. Wherever he leads us, knowing that wherever he leads us is going to lead us to him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, um, my prayer for the folks gathered here is that wherever they find themselves this morning, whether on a beautiful mountaintop or are frolicking like those deer out there this morning in the field um, or in a deep, dark, dank, depressing, and discouraging place, that you would meet them in that moment. Father, we pray that we would take encouragement that you're not done yet and that what you're doing in our lives is working towards the ultimate good. So we take the bread and the cup this morning and acknowledge you and your work. We acknowledge the work you're doing around us and we're acknowledging the work that you have for us in our community to be salt and light and encouragement to those who need it. Meet us here at the table in Jesus' name, amen.